Hello and welcome to today's edition of the Business Excellence Podcast. My name is Rail Bricker, coming to you from Perth, Western Australia. For a value added extra, excellencepodcast.com has heaps of free resources for you to download. That is excellencepodcast.com. And today, my special guest is Nicole Davidson, coming to us from Melbourne, also in Australia, which makes it unique because of so far, um, at least 50 or 60% are international guests. So it's wonderful to interview an Australian guest. Welcome, Nicole. Thanks, Rail. It's lovely to be here chatting with you today. Now, Nicole, looking at your profile, and you know, we go to the source of all truth, which is LinkedIn, okay? And LinkedIn says you're a business business peacekeeper, and it has some more words after that. Um, I guess why why does a business why do businesses need a peacekeeper? That's a great question. Look, I think it's really because, um, well, there's a quote that I like to refer to that really explains it, and it talks about conflict is inevitable, um, combat is optional. And in business particularly, when people have a conflict that arises, there's a couple of things that can go wrong, and, and they go wrong because nobody ever sits us down and tells us how to manage conflict. Um, it's a skill that generally we just learn through trial and error over our life. And if you haven't had good examples and good mentors, um, you don't necessarily have the skills to deal with conflict. A lot of us are conflict avoiders. And so we go to lawyers and guess what? Lawyers there in an adversarial system, which is about um, winning and losing. It's not about optimal business outcomes. And for me, that's the real crux of why we need business peacekeepers, because we want disputes to be resolved in a way that really works for businesses, that gets them quick, effective, cost-effective results, rather than going down the very stressful, expensive and slow litigation process. Okay. I mean, so, yeah, I mean, I mean, we've been skirting around the concept of the peacekeeper, but the, the truth of it is you're a commercial mediator and you, you advise on negotiation. Okay. That is absolutely um, the truth of it. And, and you know, so so... In business, I mean, my own experience is exactly that, is that we we tend not to deal with the challenges until they're a mountain. Mm. And until we, I mean, I advise clients in my financial services business to draw up prenups or binding legal agreements that actually define their effectively dispute resolution process. Mm -hmm. But we don't do that in business. I mean... You know what? What I mean, what what can you do to avoid disputes in your business, and and can you ever avoid disputes? I think it's impossible to avoid disputes. Um, what you can do is get to a dispute as soon as it arises and deal with it constructively, rather than letting it just escalate. And what we tend to find is that. You know, when a dispute arises, there's a couple of things that can go wrong. One is that somebody goes, oh, well, it's just a small thing. I'll just brush it under the rug. You know, I don't quite know how to deal with it. It's only little. So I'll just push that to the side. Um, but then it keeps happening or something different happens and it builds and it builds and it builds. So all of these little disputes kind of keep getting shoved under the rug. And eventually there's this 
great big poof of dust as it all explodes. And what is a whole lot of little conflicts becomes a really big dispute and a big conflict. So that's one of the problems um, that we see is because people either don't have the skills or they don't want to accept that it is a conflict because they don't want to say they've got a dispute or a conflict, um, they avoid dealing with it. Um, the other one is that they get in and they're too aggressive as they start to deal with it. And that once again, just escalates the dispute. So you've got, got these two different paths that people tend to take, neither of which leads to very good outcomes. Well, I mean, okay, so you, you said something there. Let me ask a question. When you talk about conflicts in business, are you talking mm -hmm. about um, sort of uh, conflicts between business and um, interested parties, so customers, suppliers, etc., or internal dispute? It's really all of those. Um, so, you know, and the work that I do is very much geared. It's, it's customer disputes, it's supplier disputes, it's employee disputes, and an area that I think is particularly relevant and, and ties in with this idea of the prenup that you talked about earlier is a, a, um, disputes between business owners themselves. Um, and they can be really detrimental to a business when the owners themselves start to go down different paths and don't know how to reconcile those two differences. Okay. And how much has the the has Google time and Siri time affected us? You know, not only the fact that you can go into Google and say, how do I deal with my customer complaining about ABC? And you'll get 14 pages of completely conflicting advice. <laughs> most of which comes out of the US that says sue the bastards. Um, but, but, you know, how much of, of our expectation is driven by living in real time now and wanting immediate satisfaction? You know, it's, it's an interesting question because I haven't really thought about it, but what immediately sprang to mind when you asked that question, Rail, is for me it's not so much about Google, but it's about LinkedIn, it's about Facebook, and, you know, I've got a couple of groups that I'm part of on Facebook, which are small business groups, but there's a lot of people will post on them about a trouble that's arisen in their business. And a lot of those opinions are either legally wrong or they are from people who like to ramp up the tension. So people are getting some really confusing advice um, from people who mean to give good advice. I'm sure they've got good intentions. Uh, but I think some of the advice that comes out on those platforms that people are going to, because I think one of the problems is people don't know where to go to get advice. So they go to places like that and they get some really bad advice. I mean, yeah, there was a, I've seen some shocking things coming out of it. And, but I guess the converse of that is, and I know you have a law and lecturing background as well. Okay. Um, how many of those people should not even be asking that question because it's already going to prejudice on a public platform their particular standpoint on a position? Look, you know, I think I think a lot of those disputes are never ones that are going to come to court. Um, so I think, I mean, and, and this is what's interesting, you know, talking about the lecturing, one of the, the lectures that I run is for the College of Law and we talk about negotiation and where it fits in in, in the process and and. It's really fascinating because, um, you know, out of all the, the business disputes that get litigated, it's less than 5% ever actually go to trial and get settled. The rest of them are settled through negotiation through the process. But when you think about the total number of disputes, the vast number of business disputes never get anywhere near a court. 
um, you know, a lot of disputes aren't particularly big. Sometimes people just walk away because it's just not cost effective to do anything about it. Um, sometimes it's resolved just because one party, you know, one of the companies is bigger and and stronger and can afford to, you know, hold their ground and the other person can't do anything about it. So you've got a lot of disputes that aren't even really, they're, they're commercial, they're not legal. Um, and, and what you find is that, you know, people might walk away from them, but for me it's the fact that if the dispute's not handled well, it leaves sort of this nasty aftertaste for people and, they kind of carry it with them um, for the years to come because the process of actually managing this dispute has been um, ineffective and stressful. So just, just for the clarity of the, of the listeners, you, you use two terms in there, commercial and legal. Mm. Explain the difference. Well, look, legal is about black and white. Um, you know, if you have a dispute and you look at legal paths, you're looking at, what does the legislation say, you know, that the statute law, what do the cases say about this? And there's an expectation under the law, if you go to trial, the judge is looking at one of you has the right version of the law and the facts support you, or the other person has a different view of the law and the facts support the, the law and the facts support them. So it's very much the legal process is let's look at what went on in the past and decide who's right or wrong. Now, the commercial approach um, is different in some ways. I mean, you can't take out fault. You can't sit there and go, well, we don't look at the past. There's a contribution to where a dispute's come from that's come from each party, and it's very rare that only one party has contributed to a conflict. But a commercial resolution is less about focusing on the rights and the wrongs and going, what is an outcome that makes good business sense? Um, you know, how do we take a situation that is difficult and turn it into a situation that gives each of the people involved in this dispute um, some kind of workable outcome? Okay. And so from what you said and, and my own business experience, why is using someone other than a lawyer and someone like a, a commercial mediator, certified commercial mediator, often a better outcome for of a dispute? So once again, I think the issue is that lawyers and, and there are um, lawyers who are more commercially focused than others. Um, so some lawyers, and, and I'm talking particularly about litigators here, um, there are some litigators who genuinely believe that the legal system is the way to resolve a dispute and they actually get a lot of enjoyment from the intellectual rigour of litigation. They love digging through the laws and they love um, that sort of battle of who's right or wrong in the litigation process. It's why they became litigators. And, you know, that's where you can end up in a situation where you win the litigation, but after you take into account the costs that have been incurred and potentially the fact that you win the litigation and the other person doesn't have any funds to pay your judgment out, or um, the outcome that the, the court can offer for your particular challenge doesn't actually give you what you need, um, the result, even though you're the winner, might actually not meet your commercial needs. So the idea of bringing in a commercial advisor, and, and I will um, perhaps come back a little bit because you used bringing in a commercial mediator. A commercial mediator will come in as an independent neutral between the parties, 
but you can also get somebody who's coming in as a negotiation advisor from a commercial rather than a legal perspective who's very much on your side. Um, and once again, they are looking at um, what, are the, what are the real goals and needs of the business, what are the challenges that need to be addressed, and how do we best get to an outcome there? Okay, so that's interesting. So you're employing a negotiator to negotiate on your behalf. Yeah, and, and look, the, the negotiation assignments um, that I've worked on range from anything from coming in and helping people be more strategic before they get into the negotiation. So I have a process that I take them through that looks at all the different aspects of the negotiation to make sure that everything's been considered and nothing's been left to chance. Um, and sometimes that's all that somebody needs and then they can jump in and do the negotiation themselves. Other times people have said to me, no, you know, you go in, you you help us, we'll, we'll go through everything you need to know and you go and run that negotiation for us. So it very much depends on what the situation is and, and where people are structured. But one of the things I love about this process is once you sit down and you go through that really structured preparation exercise once, it really helps you and you, you learn a lot through that process that you can take into future negotiations as well. Um, and and me and so mediators are are almost I was going to say like judges, but with much more flexibility because they, they they're mediating effectively a commercial solution. So, not really. Um, mediators are not like judges in that they have absolutely no power to make anybody do anything. So. When you really look at what a mediator is doing, a mediator is there as a facilitator of a negotiation. So they are the sort of intermediary between these two people or two companies um, that are no longer communicating effectively about this dispute and able to resolve it. So the mediator steps in and they're really, you know, a good mediator is a negotiation expert. They understand all the dynamics of the negotiation and they're taking those parties, they're asking questions that unpack everything that they need to know about the negotiation to work towards an, out, an outcome. Now, once again, there are mediators and there are mediators. A lot of mediators um, are barristers or former barristers or former judges. Um, they may not all be trained in that really uh, disciplined negotiation style of mediation. They may be more basing it on this is what I think will happen if it goes to court, therefore I'm going to tell you what would be a successful outcome. So doing your research about where the mediator comes from and, and choosing the right style of mediator um, can be really important. It can. In, in an ideal world, could everything be negotiated and put the courts out of business? I think there are some disputes that do need to go to court. Um, so, you know, when you think about what needs to go to court, there are some where the parties are just so far apart um, that it might be an area where the law is unclear and they need to go to court so that there is some clarity for future cases. The challenge with that, and, and lawyers will often say that to clients, is, well, we need, to, we need to take this to court because we need to understand exactly what the law is supposed to be. If the client is one that's going to have repeat um, issues coming up like this, so particularly in the insurance sector, or it might be a construction, you know, a particular area of construction for a large construction company, they might be able to justify the cost of 
being the person who takes this to court to get clarity on the law because it's going to give them clarity going forward. But if you're just um, an average business and you're not going to come across this dispute yourself, you might have a lawyer going, we need to, lit- we need to litigate this so that we get clarity in the courts. Um, but for you, you might be just as happy with a mediated settlement. So, I mean, there are definitely some cases that um, there's just such a lack of clarity and the parties, mainly it's because the parties don't want to settle that they need to go to court. A lot of things could be mediated. I know with with divorce proceedings, and and thankfully I've been married for 31 years, so that's a good thing. Congratulations. Uh, Thank you. But but from from a lot of my clients that I've helped through that process, um, there has to be a willingness and commitment for you as a mediator. When you're putting two parties in a room, you know, what are you getting them to commit to beforehand? Otherwise, you're just getting paid and banging your head against a brick wall. Yeah. Uh, Look, they have to be coming. um, We talk about coming to a mediation in good faith, being willing to negotiate. And one of the steps that I always do when I'm mediating is meet with the parties before we get to the mediation itself. Not all mediators do that. But it's a really important time for me to get that sense of how much people are willing to budge. Um, Sometimes people aren't willing to budge very much um, because their legal position is actually incredibly strong. Um, And, you know, part of the analysis that I do with people before the mediation and during the mediation is actually looking at, you know, and this is the same for any negotiation, you need to understand what in technical terms we call it the BATNA, but it's, it's your best alternative. If you don't negotiate with this person that you're in this negotiation with, what's the best thing you can do to meet your interests and the things that you are important to you? And it's really important to know what avenues are available to you outside of this negotiation because it sets the floor of what should be a minimum acceptable outcome. And, you know, often the work that I do with people before a mediation is trying to help understand that because sometimes what you find is that um, when you compare it to what happens to not getting an outcome, um, the options are looking pretty poor. And sometimes the best outcome in a negotiation is not a good outcome but it's still the best thing you're going to be able to achieve. And I think that's a really important thing. People come in with unrealistic expectations sometimes. It's funny that I've heard that this statement before, but in in regard to examinations at school, that actually says exams are the worst system we know, but the only one we got. Yeah. And and for for exactly that, that sort of reason. Just a technical legal question. If, if things are disclosed within a mediation mm-hmm. and the dispute goes legal, how, how does that disclosure apply to, to legal proceedings? That's a really great question, Rail, and um, it's one of the big concerns people often have coming into a mediation. So at the start of a mediation, before we actually get into talking about the substance of the dispute, everybody has to sign a mediation agreement. One of the most important terms in that document is a confidentiality clause. So what that says is that basically everything that's disclosed in the context of the mediation is to be kept confidential and can't be disclosed unless required to by law. Um, Now, generally, that means that the information you put forward at the the negotiation, certainly any offers that are exchanged between the parties in negotiation are there for the purposes of the mediation itself. Um, Now, of course, that's all well and good from a legal perspective, 
but now you've got the other side that knows this stuff and they can't unknow it. Um, so it might change their approach to how they seek discovery and litigation or go through other processes because they've got this. Um, but there is, to the greatest extent possible, a degree of um, confidentiality in the mediation process. And certainly the mediator can't be called as a witness if the dispute goes forward to talk about what happened at the mediation either. Okay, so it's sort of like a without prejudice type approach. To absolutely, absolutely. There was a, a joke many years ago, it came out of the Wild West, but, it, you know, the Wild West as in the fictional Wild West in America, that a uh, a Smith and Wesson plus four aces always beat four aces. <laughs> yes, it sounds uh, fairly uh, apt. Um, I mean, how much of your work, most of what you do because you're a commercial mediator, how, how does that differ from, from uh, mediation services for family law? So the, the big difference, I guess, um, family lawyers, uh, well, often there is a mandatory requirement to go to mediation for a family law matter before you can even issue legal proceedings. And so for a family lawyer, uh, for a family law mediator to be able to do that, they have additional qualifications that are not required as a commercial mediator. And that's mainly around um, the psychological well-being and safety of the participants in the mediation so the, the, the mediation training is exactly the same um, for a commercial or a workplace or a family mediator. Um, they talk about, you know, a lot of people assume that there's a lot more emotion in family law mediation than there is in business mediations, but I can tell you the emotion um, comes into business mediations all the time as well. Um, so you're always dealing with people's um, hurt, their anger, um, their wounded pride um, often comes up. So there's a lot of this emotional stuff that we have to deal with in commercial mediations as well. And, and that's the part of a dispute that the lawyers don't really address. Um, I mean, there's a personal question, I guess. How much of that, you know, over your years of being a mediator, how much of that personal angst of the people do you take on and, and does it affect you? Um, that. Equally is a question that has um, taken me a little while to get my head around. Um, but I do actually take that on because one thing is I, I care deeply about getting outcomes for people. I really don't believe that most people need to go to litigation. So I work very hard and I do take on a lot of that. I've actually started um, putting processes in place, particularly last year where I was dealing with a lot of um mediations in the commercial tenancy space where businesses were under extreme stress um, from COVID, particularly as, you know, Melbourne, the lockdown capital of the world, um, so many businesses had, had been shut without revenue for such a long time. And the amount of stress and tension that I was dealing with um, alongside anger um, was huge. So I've started um, really focusing on looking after myself. I do meditation. I do work to sort of manage some of that. And, and sometimes it's hard. You've got to remind yourself that, you know, ultimately I'm there to help, but it's not my problem. Yeah. And there's a, there's a story in my book of one of my team members who's now been here 10 or 11 years. But in the early days when she worked here, she came into work one day and I said, you look tired. She said, yes, I woke up at four o'clock in the morning worrying about this client. And I said, welcome to my world. Cause that's, yeah. that's what it is. And that means you're a human being. You've taken it on. 
So, Nicole, this has been an amazing conversation. If anyone wants to negotiate with you or get you to negotiate for them <laughs> or be a mediator, um, what's the best way for people to get hold of you? You also have a book out. And, and tell us a little bit about the book and where it's available. Great. So, yes, I've got a short book um, which is called The A to Z of Negotiation, um, which is just a collection of 26 tips, one for every letter of the alphabet, of short, easy-to-apply negotiation tips. That's available on Amazon um, and it's also available direct from my website and my website is www.nicoledavidsonnegotiation.com.au. Um, you can also contact me by email, and I should have made a shorter email address, but unfortunately, it's quite long. It's Nicole at NicoleDavidsonNegotiation.com.au. And otherwise, I'm really happy for people to connect with me on LinkedIn is, is a really good way of getting in touch as well. Well, thank you very much, Nicole. I'm glad we didn't have to negotiate too much on that. Um, Can I not send my fee in an advance, Rail? Something like that, yes. <laughs> we, 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 we've put the... Uh, the, the, the terms down already. The, Fair enough. I, I look forward uh, to, to uh, hearing this episode when it goes live. Uh, thank you very much for sharing. It's enlightened me a lot on the process and said, thankfully, I've not had to do too much negotiation or mediation. And so that's, uh, that's been a, a bonus uh, uh, learning exercise for me. So thank you very much for joining us today on the Business Excellence Podcast. My pleasure, Rail. Thanks very much for having me as a guest. And this is Rail Bricker from Perth, Western Australia, signing off for today's edition with a reminder to pop along to excellencepodcast.com where you can download a number of free resources to help you on your journey to excellence in both business and in life.